Well, the 1990s was a weird decade. And I know, because I lived through it. I was a teenager throughout the 1990s. I was busy describing life in the ancient past to my son yesterday. I was just listing everything I could think of that I didn't have as a kid that he has now. Things like cell phones. I was explaining what pay phones are to him. or There was no YouTube or Netflix. One now, I think, amusing phenomenon that was a terror to many in the late 90s was something called the Y2K bug or the millennium bug. If you want to understand what the millennium bug is, if you're under 20, you probably have no idea. Uh, Harry McCracken, in an article about the phenomenon, writes, the Y2K bug stemmed from computer programmers having conserved precious bytes by storing years as two digits. For instance, 80 instead of 1980. When 99 turned into 2000, aging software reliant on such space-saving dates wouldn't be able to tell the new year from 1900. And that raised the specter of much of the code that ran the world failing. Possibly, the theory went, in disastrous ways. Power grids might be knocked out. Banks could fail. Food shortages and mass unemployment might lead to riots. Any semblance of normalcy could take years to return. Publishing magnate and author Michael Hyatt said at that time, I am convinced that the Y2K problem presents us with potentially the most significant, extensive, and disruptive crisis we have ever faced. And if you needed help navigating through the Y2K bug, there was no lack of literature for you. They included the Y2K survival guide, the Y2K personal survival guide, a Y2K personal survival kit, a Y2K financial survival guide, and a Y2K survival guide and cookbook. It's real. And yes, in November of 1999, NBC aired Y2K the movie, complete with chaos in the streets and exploding airplanes. You can find it on YouTube. Millions stayed up on December 31st, 1999, waiting with bated breath to see if the world would collapse when the clock struck 12. While I was there, I remember, spoiler alert, nothing much happened, as programmers had worked tirelessly to attend to the programming issues, and happily we are alive and present here this morning, and the world failed to come to an end, uh, but stay tuned. In so many ways, this is indicative of the fact that in so many ways, or in most ways, we are terrible about predicting the future. We want there to be certainty. We want to be able to know and predict what's going to happen in the days ahead. But realistically, our lives are filled with so much uncertainty. It certainly doesn't keep us from trying. Newspapers with daily horoscopes uncertain weather forecasts, stock market speculation. Many consult palm readers and psychics. Anyone remember the Psychic Friends Network from the 90s? Hosted by Dion Warwick, where you could call a 1-900 number and for $3.99 a minute, a psychic would tell you about your life. I had fun revisiting that on YouTube as well this past week. In our text this morning, the preacher speaks into 
the uncertainty of our lives. And he gives us wisdom and encouragement in how to live in an uncertain world so that we would not be paralyzed with fear about the future, but step into our lives with generous and bold living. That's what our text is about. So let's turn to our text in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And let us pay careful attention for this is the word of God. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. So, the author of Ecclesiastes, self-identified as the preacher, instructs us about how to live in uncertainty. We cannot predict the future, but we can and are called to live boldly and generously with the clarity that God provides us in an uncertain world. So, just two points in the sermon. Here's the first. How do we live in light of uncertainty? Verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 Maybe a familiar verse to you. The preacher begins by apparently exhorting us to make soggy bread. Um, well, I mean, what is he saying? Well, what we do is we place verse one into the context. Verse one is actually debatable about what it actually means. It's probably not about soggy bread. The preacher appears to be talking about Living generously, cast your bread upon the waters for you'll find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even eight for you know not what disaster may happen. So the preacher says, we don't know the future. We don't know what lies for us in the days ahead. Life is uncertain, so it is unwise to just sit on your resources. Your life could be over tonight. And so Be generous, give it away, use your resources. Verse three, because life is full of uncertainty. The clouds with the rain, you can't predict exactly when it will rain, even with our most modern technology. 
It's become a joke in my house, and my wife makes fun of me. There was one time a couple years ago where it was raining, and I looked at her and I said, but my phone doesn't say it's raining. Now she makes fun of me all the time about that whenever it rains. The wind blows down a tree in the forest. Who knows which way it will fall? He's illustrating that the world is full of uncertainty. He gives us a farming illustration. Verse four, if you spend all your time watching the wind and the clouds for the perfect time to sow your seed, to do your work, you'll end up not getting it done. In other words, often there is no perfect time for pushing ahead in our work and endeavors. We just need to get on with the task at hand. I mean, one could be as careful and cautious as possible, guarded, wise, starting a new business, for instance. And then just hypothetically, a pandemic arrives and messes the whole thing up. Verse five, the elusive understanding of what our creator God is up to in all of this is as much of a mystery as figuring out the nature of life itself. He says here, the spirit of life in an embryo. And incidentally, I would suggest here we have yet another biblical text that informs how we should view life in the womb. We are pro-life here because God is pro-life. The smallest of babies in the womb are implanted with life from God himself. And we have no right to or sanction to snuff out that precious life. As Psalm 139 says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Life itself is a wonder. It's a mystery. And the preacher is saying the future is mysterious too. Verse six. Sow your seed in the morning And in the evening, go about other kinds of work, since you don't know which of your endeavors may prosper. Here he's calling us to diversify our life portfolio. Maybe even an implicit invitation to a side hustle. Try your hand at different things. You're not sure about the future. What will succeed? So do everything that's in front of you. In all of this, we know that it is good and right to plan It is wise to plan, and many things are fairly predictable in the world. You apply yourself and work hard, and you will usually see results and the fruit of your labor. If you apply yourself to faithful parenting, your kids will benefit in many ways, but we must reckon with the unpredictability of it all. I just think about my wife's upbringing and mine. I grew up in a very strict, fundamentalist Christian home, No secular music, no cartoons, some Disney. Private schools my whole life. My wife singing Madonna into a hairbrush at six in a Christian home, attending public school and so forth. At 23, I was smoking crack and she bought a house. So we do what we can. we do what we can in the work that's in front of us, but we cannot with precision predict what will happen because of that work. As 18th century Scottish poet Robert Burns wrote in his poem, To a Mouse, modern translation, 
He said, but mouse friend, you are not alone. Improving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men go off awry and leave us only grief and pain for promised joy. Still, friend, you're blessed compared with me. Only present dangers make you flee, but ouch, behind me I can see grim prospects drear while forward-looking seers we humans guess and fear. The future is uncertain. That is what the preacher is reminding us of. Therefore, maybe this surprises us, but here it is. The future is uncertain. Therefore, in light of the uncertainty of the future, live and give generously. None of us are taking anything with us. Jesus speaks into this in Luke chapter 12, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I hope that each of you live to a ripe old age. And maybe some of us will. But maybe there'll be a car accident or a heart attack or even a deadly case of COVID. David Gibson in his fine book, Living Life Backward, which I commend to you, a book about Ecclesiastes, says, one of the greatest mistakes we can ever make is to think about our life, our wealth, or our possessions as if we can predict the future. You can't, he's speaking of Luke 12, you can't, says Jesus, so be rich toward God now while you can. What's the point of your wealth if disaster next week might take it from you. And so the preacher encourages us to make the most of what's in front of us, to not live overly cautious, gated off lives in order to control the future, but to be willing to try new things, launch into new endeavors, make the most of life because it is short, it is unpredictable, and it is over before we know it. Most present here, remember just recently the stock market crash of 2008 where it was said 401ks became 201ks. So the preacher says, give, be generous in the face of uncertainty. For us, wonderfully, we have promises as Christians that as we give by faith, there is a harvest, there is a return, which is described in verses one and two, and there's treasures in heaven laid up for those who give. David Gibson again says, if what you seek to do is control your life, to map it out and insulate yourself from all risk and all failure, then what you've forgotten is that you cannot control what only God can control. You will never know the delight of something that can give you back a reward you weren't expecting. That's wonderful. The uncertainty of the future is not intended for us to seek to insulate ourselves from risk and, and failure and try to control our lives and, and avert disaster. Certainly there is wise planning and we do well to live with wisdom, but the uncertainty of the future is intended to stimulate 
us into making the most of the time we have. That's what the preacher's saying. So, do the bucket list. Start the business. Write your novel. Talk to your neighbor about the gospel or move to the Middle East and share Christ with those who have never heard of him. Sign up for a church plant. This is one shot. Life is uncertain. Give yourself away. Do not seek to control, map out all the details, and seek to insulate yourself from all risk and failure. So let me ask you, is there something that you know God has been calling you to pursue and you've been putting it off or avoiding it? The preacher would say, your life is uncertain. You, 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 may, you may have been saying to yourself, well, I, I'll get there someday. Well, give me a few years. We do not know the length of our days. And so the preacher and God through his word encourages us to step into what God wants us to do. So he shows us in the first six verses how to live in light of the uncertainty of the future, but then he also gives us some things to know that inform living in uncertainty in verses seven through 10. Once again, he's done this throughout the book. The preacher calls us to live with joy. He says, rejoice in the days of your lives and enjoy those happy days with a realistic perspective. Here's what we are to know. He reminds us, yes, rejoice in happy days, but know there will be days of darkness. And this life is vanity. It is brief. It's confusing. It's passing. Perhaps you are quite young and you have not faced many dark days in your young life. Know this, as theologian and New Testament scholar once wrote, D.A. Carson once wrote, the truth of the matter is that all we have to do is live long enough and we will suffer. The preacher, listen, he's not being a bummer. He's being realistic so that we would not be surprised when the dark days arrive and be tempted to question, why me, to God? Or to turn against God, as if it is surprising we would walk through dark days or suffering. This is our lot in a fallen world. Being a Christian does not shield us from it somehow. And perhaps maybe we feel a grief even deeper than some as we understand that this is not the way creation was supposed to be and we long for the return of Christ. For all who know Christ, let me add, there is joy for you in the darkest days. The preacher exhorts us to take joy in the gifts we are surrounded by, to enjoy the good days, but says you will experience dark days. And maybe, I, I just, I'm preaching to the choir to someone. You don't have to tell me. I live through dark days. I, I could use a couple happy days. Maybe, maybe you walked in here with your head down because you've been walking through dark days. You long for those happy days. Oh, my friend, listen. In Christ, there is joy for you in your tears, in your dark day, 
take joy in the God of your salvation. It doesn't mean you're not crying. But it is in knowing that his love for you is unwavering. He is present. He's present with you in the dark days as well as the happy days. And he is eager to comfort and strengthen you. He hasn't forgotten you. Do not think hard thoughts about God in these dark days. Press into Christ to find joy even in your tears. Listen, we, I got a bunch of copies of a resource to help you in this. It's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It's free. It's at the Welcome Center. It's a resource to utilize, to remind you in dark days of the unwavering love of Christ for you. This life is passing away. This life is full of dark days, but Christ is mine forevermore. For all who suffer, listen, in a little while, you will experience glory that is not worth comparing with the suffering you're enduring now at the return of Christ. So he wants us to know this so that we wouldn't be surprised. There will be dark days. Second thing he wants us to know is that God will judge the lives we live. He says, verse nine, rejoice in your youth. So here's a word to young men and women all present in this room, the young folks, or maybe just people who feel young. Rejoice in your youth, he says. In other words, teens, don't wish away these days. These moments of school, the security of a home with parents who love you dearly and take care of you, ice cream sundaes without fear of an expanding waistline. Listen, soon enough, you will be Googling the keto diet and signing up for a gym membership you will never use. That's a... He says, rejoice in your youth. It's a gift. Then he says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? This is why I love Ecclesiastes. That's not the kind of verse you typically read in scripture. Walk in the ways of your heart. Now, you might hear a record scratch, like what is he talking about here? Uh, Hold up, walk in the ways of your heart. Well, no, I'm aware of what God says in his word uh, because there is the reality and effect of sin in our hearts. We should be skeptical of our hearts. So is the preacher here exhorting us with Disney movie theology? You know, follow your heart and make your dreams come true. A dream is a wish your heart makes. Listen, we, we, we love we love Disney in, in, our, in our home, actually. But I would say, and I imagine most of you are aware, but, but I think as parents, we should be wise, actually, about Disney movies. Well, some people are getting upset about some of the ways that Disney is depicting things in movies now. There's always been this underlying current that embraces the innocence of our hearts and calls us to pursue our hearts No matter how your heart is grieving, if you keep on believing the dream that you wish will come true. This is not Disney theology. 
The preacher is aware of the presence of sin and the deceitful effect that sin has on our hearts. Listen, following your heart in and of itself may take you straight into destruction. The Bible is clear about that. What he is doing here is he is encouraging the young and indeed all of us to pursue our God-given passions and giftings and abilities. To resist complacency or a lifestyle of mind-numbing distraction. He's aware of the reality of sin in all of this and so he moderates this by reminding us, know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. And this informs what the preacher is talking about when it comes to walking in the ways of your heart. He's saying that all in this pursuing of what God has in front of us, our pursuit of joy, all of it is done under the scrutiny and judgment of God. That is why verse 10, he says, remove vexation from your heart, put away pain. That word can also mean evil or misery from your body. For your youth is vanity, is quickly passing, and what you do with it matters to God. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. He's reminding us, God is watching our lives and we will give an account to God for the way we live our lives, there is a day of judgment coming for all. R.C. Sproul describes an old theological term called quorum Deo, which means living under the eye of God. He writes, to live quorum Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God under the authority of God, to the glory of God. To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing and wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. God is omnipresent, and there is no place so remote that we can escape his penetrating gaze. If that was all there was for us to know about God, that he is a holy and righteous and sovereign judge. We have reason in this moment to fall on our face in terror before his penetrating gaze. But listen, he is holy and he's merciful. He is righteous and he is full of mercy and grace. And we know this because we deserve God's judgment against us in our sin. And we are those instead who have received grace. Only in and through the one who took our sin and judgment upon himself on the cross, dying as our substitute, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Listen, if, if you're not a Christian here, we had a word from the mic earlier addressing those who are not Christians. Listen, it is true God is not blind. God is not casual. 
or forgetful. All of us will bring our lives before him and give an account for the life we have lived. None of us will be able to present to God a life so well lived that he will simply welcome us into heaven. But if you will put your faith in Christ this morning, when you stand in that judgment before God, you will point to him, declaring, there is my righteousness. That's good news. So for all who put their faith in Christ, we, we, don't, we don't sidestep this verse though. Understand, our final judgment for sin has been taken away in Christ. We are justified by faith in Christ, but we have a relationship with God. We live in the presence of God. And through our lives, through sin in our lives that we allow to fester, we can disrupt and corrupt that relationship. It's not like God just simply turns a blind eye to our sin. Yes, praise God, he will keep us to the end in his grace. There is always plentiful forgiveness in him and yet we live in a personal relationship with God and the way we live our lives can bring displeasure to God. And so, the Apostle Paul again in 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, since we have these promises, so the promises come first, since each Christian has the promise of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God in Christ, since we have these promises, then, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So, Maybe in this moment, as you consider the reality of the penetrating gaze of our sovereign God, maybe you're aware in this moment that there is sin that you have been hiding. Maybe you've been hiding it for a long time, and so you are tempted to think that God does not see or care. Listen, if if you're feeling the weight of that sin, if you're feeling the sharp conviction of sin, that is God kindly and graciously revealing your sin to you so that you can turn away from that sin and find fresh grace. Grace to forgive your sin and to strengthen you to persevere in faithfulness to God. In a world of uncertainty, The preacher says, do your best, apply yourself, live generously, know in all of this that there will be dark days. There is no getting around it. Don't be surprised. Live your life understanding that God is present in all of it. Let me close with this. The preacher says, life is uncertain and it is short. Give it all you have for the glory of God. I just love Ecclesiastes for that. Just this down-to-earth, realistic wisdom that God has given us in Ecclesiastes. Let me ask you, what does God have for you in the day ahead, in the week ahead? Is it school? You know, Ecclesiastes actually provoked me to reapply 
to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and finish my master's this past week. Yeah, that's... It's, God gives us Ecclesiastes so that we do take stock of our lives and we do step into it. We get one shot. What can we do? How can we serve? What is for you in the days ahead? Is it school? Is it parenting? Is it work? Is it a needed conversation you've been putting up? Is it, is it a new job opportunity? Is it a new serving opportunity at church? Is it a friend who needs to hear about Jesus? Listen, let us receive this week and each week as a gift from God, full of gifts to enjoy and given to us so that for the glory of God, we exert our energies in the power of God to the glory of God. And so 1 Corinthians says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do this week, do all to the glory of God. Amen.